can't say it was the best performance I've ever seen from the Reds there. Ferguson praised United's courage. Couldn't help but think about the absolutely abysmal defending that I saw on Joe. Yeah, it was pretty disgraceful stuff. Let's start in a world before Christmas had happened. We were away at Swansea. You said we've got more firepower than them. And to be fair, I think the Reds were pretty unlucky not to come away from Wales with a win. Pretty good performance, actually, I thought, from United. I mean, unlucky in a way not to finish off the game. A few controversial incidents, of course, took the headlines, but decent performance from United. Probably should have taken the game comfortably, didn't finish off the chances that there were. I thought an outstanding performance from Michael Carrick in central midfield, uh, one of two this week, and, uh, you know, one of the players to come out with a load of credit. Although, got to say, probably Wayne Rooney's worst game in a United shirt, at least for some time, you know, uh, he was abysmal and he said afterwards that Ferguson was right to take him off, could hardly argue with that one, could he? It's amazing when Wayne Rooney thinks that it was right for him to be subbed off, I mean... I am literally speechless, clearly. Uh, a truly abysmal performance from Wayne Rooney, like world-shatteringly awful. Um, you say as bad a performance as we've ever seen from him in a United shirt, and that really is saying something, because wonderful player though he is, he's had a few stinkeroonies along the way, but this was the, the, the biggest stinkeroonie of them all. Every pass he tried went wrong. Every shot was, you know, it was a classic kind of pass when he should have shot, shot when he should have passed. Everything he tried went wrong. All the weighting of his passing was wrong. That brilliant link-up play with uh, Robin van Persie that he's had completely disappeared and he never looked to find the Dutchman, really. And, and it, you know, even even benign, calm, fatherly Robin van Persie, older brotherly Robin van Persie seemed to be slightly losing his call with Rooney across the course of that game. I and mean, when he has a stinker, he really does have a stinker, of course, Rooney. But look, let's not extrapolate this to the, the whole season. I think generally he's still United's most important player, you know? He's the, he's the man that makes the team tick and it's interesting in a week that the Guardian published their top 100 footballers playing right now list and of course you know lists are there to spark a debate and create argument and Rooney came in at 31 which was obviously utterly ridiculous especially with Luis Suarez at 21 and a whole bunch of defenders further up the field that have way less impact on the game than Rooney does so harsh beyond harsh that one but but of course you know just as I was about to write my disgusted of Old Trafford letter to the Guardian Rooney puts in that performance so yeah, um, not not great from him. And turns out he tweaked his hamstring afterwards. A, a lot of lot of debate going around social media before the game against Newcastle when it, uh, it was revealed Rooney wasn't in the squad. That perhaps uh, he'd been dropped by Sir Alex. They'd had a row after the game or something like that. But no, um, he's uh, not his hamstring, his knee. Minor minor problem with the knee apparently. But you know maybe he could do with a little rest after that that performance. What do you put it down to? That That's the thing that I find the most fascinating because it's not systemic. He was playing in the role that he's been playing to great effect recently. There's no obvious factors that would indicate, you know, there's no fitness like um, he covered ridiculous mileage. He put in a heck of a shift. A lot of people sort of saying, oh yeah, here we go. Christmas and Rooney's been on the fags again. But, you know, he, he, he didn't look short of pace at all. No, no, I just think he had one of those bad games. Look, look, two games ago, he was absolutely outstanding against Manchester City. So, yeah. you know, let's not pretend. He's, he's somehow in some uh, horrendous slumper form. He, he just, uh, just had a bad one. 
as did Antonio Valencia, who really is having a bunch of stinkers in a row, isn't he? And really hard at this one to work out why his confidence is so low. I asked a semi-rhetorical question on Twitter, who your best and worst players of the season? Uh, I swear, 9 out of 10, maybe even more than that, people say Antonio Valencia. And um, I think that's something to do with expectations as well, because he was so good towards the back end of the last season, wasn't he? You know, really influential in United's charge towards almost the title. And, and this season is just not happening for him. And, and I guess the most frustrating thing is that everyone knows that he can take on a fullback and put in a cross. And interesting, he still has put in more crosses, successful crosses, than any other United player in the squad because he still manages to get in position. He's still playing every week, you know, because there aren't too many other options. But he, he seems to, the feeling is, he seems to not want to take on a fullback anymore. And, and how often does he stop and, and lay it back to Raphael or wait for the overlap or cut inside and then pass it back in midfield and the, and the penetration has all been lost? I mean, it's at least 90% of the time now that he doesn't take on the fullback. And it is, it's interesting you mentioned successful crosses will come onto the Newcastle game, but I think one out of nine crosses successful. Uh, he really, he was bad against Swansea. He was bad the week before. He was bad against Man City when the rest of the team was, was so impressive. He was truly awful against Newcastle. He really looked shaken to me. And, and you know, that is a player who I am genuinely concerned about. He's got the yips, you know. he's 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 got the full-on yips. He looks like that thing that he knows how to do, and we all know that he knows how to do it. At the moment, he doesn't feel like he can, you know. And, and it's a, it is a worry when a sportsman at that level uh, loses faith in themselves. Well, of course, and we, we've seen it with Fernando Torres, and it's it's taken, and we, you know, maybe he's coming out of the slump now because it, he has scored quite a few goals in the last, you know, six or seven matches, hasn't he? But it took him eighteen months. Let's hope that doesn't happen to to Valencia. But it does feel like three or four months of of pretty average performances. But- we shouldn't get down on the team too much, I don't think, in, for the match against Swansea because there were some really outstanding performances. I, m- I mentioned Carrick. He he played uh, 20 passes more than any other player on the pitch. You know, everything went through him and, and not the, just the defensive side, you know, r- really pivotal in United's attacking play, I thought. And I think I had a difficult start to the season. I remember talking with you about Carrick before and we said, oh, well, he had such a great season. The previous season, of course, he was Rant's Player of the Year. We both picked him as, as our favourite player last season. But he had, I don't think he had the best first two months of the season, but he's really come into his own, I think, in the winter. And uh, Patrice Evra, striker Evra, perhaps we should put him up front. He just can't stop scoring at the moment. He had a fine game down the left, though he really attacked well. And, and Evans was really good in central defence. Vidic stayed very deep, and I thought he played a very safe game. But Evans uh, had a very good one against Swansea. And so lots of positives, I, I thought, in, in that game, even though uh, it was you know, his first, I think, first Premier League draw in 20-something matches. And of course, the greatest positive of, of all to come out of that game is that Robin Van Persie is still with us. He did get to have Christmas with his family. He was not brutally slain in his prime by Ashley Williams's kicking a ball at his head. Now, Fergie's taken an awful lot of stick for the whole RIP, RVP malarkey. But in fairness, if you're being really, really technical about it, he probably could have killed him by kicking a ball at his head. Uh, It's just, that's probably not the most likely scenario. Look, the player has said, oh, I didn't mean to do it. And Rooney has said, oh, it's probably just an accident. I I thought Rooney was being politically safe there. I mean, to be honest, I think Williams was just frustrating and just lashed the ball at at Van Persie and uh, because I don't believe a professional defender of Williams's class would miskick it that badly from a, a few feet away you know he he meant to do it of course he didn't mean to hit Van Persie's head uh, it was a moment of frustration uh, one that many professional sports players have at times you know remember Tim Henman's 
smashing the ball into a ball girl's face a few years ago at Wimbledon. It was a similar kind of incident, I, I felt. Uh, other people have different interpretation. It could easily have been a card for Williams as a result. I think the, the fact that Ferguson said that Van Persie could have died has, has left him open to ridicule, of course. I mean, if he'd couched it in slightly different terminology and said, uh, I think he did it on purpose, it should have been a red card, it would have been harder to argue with his point. Yeah, but of course the overriding emotion when you heard Fergie say that was, oh, classic Ferguson, you know, no no back page the next day, ran with a Wayne Rooney has world-class shocker, every single one went with a Van Persie lucky to be alive says Ferguson. Yeah, and he completely controlled the media agenda, I mean, Denny's on, on United Rant wrote a piece about this. City won, United drew, it should have been you know, great for Roberto Mancini over at, at Eastlands and, and instead the whole media agenda was dominated by Ferguson and, and he's just a master at it, he's a master at it and United went into the Newcastle game instead of feeling under complete pressure because two points were dropped and, and City were, you know, had a game against Sunderland which you know, if City won and United dropped points could have meant City were within a point you know, and, and in theory that meant a lot of pressure on United Instead of that, we were all talking about something else and, and there wasn't the same kind of pressure on United and, and he's done it on purpose, Ferguson, and probably very well calculated too. And he's still the best at that uh, by miles. What's amazing about it is how thoroughly the entire press pack appear to fall for it every time. It's like Ferguson just literally holds up a shiny thing, says, hey everybody, look at this shiny thing, and instead of going, oh, you're doing that again, aren't you? You're trying to distract us from something. They'll go, oh, shiny thing, shiny thing! And and that's it. I guess it's because it's a you know it's a much better story, isn't it? And ultimately, the truth is not what they're trying to get at. They're trying to sell newspapers, and that's why Fergie has the ability to control the story because they're they're a vested interest at work, and where they're a vested interest, you can exert control. Yeah, very true. I mean, he just needs to keep the right side of ridiculous, and and then he can carry on doing it forever. Yeah, yeah so, absolutely. And it was just only just the right side of ridiculous. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not sure it was, but I think maybe the performance was so bad from Rooney, and he's such a sort of target for the media that it needed to be pretty extreme for it to work. And, then, and the other thing is maybe maybe Fergie just lost his temper and said it in the heat of the moment, and it wasn't a controlled piece of media manipulation. But it's just because it's happened so often that you. It makes me think that perhaps it was. I would go with the assessment that uh, it was a controlled piece of media manipulation. Yeah, well, I mean, that's definitely the more generous. And the Fergie's losing his marbles as he gets older argument doesn't doesn't hold so much water. Although, when the team was announced for the Newcastle game on Boxing Day, it did seem like the boss had got a new Tom Bowler for Christmas off Cathy and had uh, wriggled it out and David De Gea's number had come up. Many groans around the world as the starting eleven had both Ryan Giggs and Paul Scholes in it. Why, why would you groan? Because it always works. <laughs> Fifteen years ago. <laughs> yeah, nothing more difficult and frustrating than people taking your reaction to that starting eleven as some sort of attack on the glorious legacy of Ryan Giggs and Paul Scholes or some sort of accusation that Ferguson's a terrible manager. It's like, no, no, no. All I'm saying is the next 60 minutes of all of our lives before the substitution happens are going to be really frustrating. That's all All I'm saying. I'm not saying anything more nor less than that. We may well still win this game, but it's going to be a painful journey for all of us. 
Right, and and it was so utterly predictable, wasn't yeah. it? Everything that happened was so utterly predictable, from United uh, struggling to compete physically in midfield to uh, being really open through central midfield and, in fact, in wide areas too, to the back four being put under pressure and United conceding goals. I mean, it's such a pattern and it's so predictable and it made me wonder what the hell's going on at Carrington. Do they not see this happening? I'm not a qualified coach, but it's bloody obvious. And it really doesn't seem like there are too many things that need to be fixed in, in order for United to defend a lot, lot better. And, and personnel is one of them, you know, and, and gigs and skulls in that, that um, midfield led to some obvious problems. And that's not an attack on either. Same as, same as you, you know, two wonderful players for United. Maybe it's come to the point where they can't both start a game together. Yeah, although really the problem here wasn't so much gigs, actually because Giggs had a, a very fine game all all round, actually. He was quite effective with the ball, very dangerous in the second half, he looked. He was playing very much sort of, basically, but he was playing on the left wing, essentially. He, he was, yeah, and he, he was good. He was pretty good in his cameo against Swansea as well, yeah. you know. It's, it's actually, uh, for, for a man who's not had a very good season at all, he, he's done all right in those games, and that's not an attack on him personally, but it definitely affects the way United play. Yeah, for sure. And what also massively affects is that that midfield, which was last season, the only midfield anyone wanted to see was the skulls and carrot combination. The season before that, nobody wanted to see it. And this season, it's got to the point where no one wants to see it again. Cleverly and Carrick rolled out against Swansea again, and they, they were pretty effective. As you said, you heaped praise on Carrick um, for the Swansea game. I actually thought for the first 60 minutes, Carrick was very ordinary against Newcastle, actually. Misplaced a lot of passes, caused United a few problems, obviously partly culpable. Um, uh, for the first Newcastle goal, De Gea has to take some of the criticism for that as well. Um, doing the thing that we all make fun of Joe Hart for doing, it was a bad parry, I thought. Carrick then sprung into life and came into his own once Cleverly came on. Maybe that was a, a coincidence and actually it was just the state of the game that brought him to life rather than the personnel. And I was obviously absolutely stunning in his involvement in the goals, particularly the fourth goal. Right, I mean, Carrick's passing, you're right, sloppy, you know, below 80% against Newcastle, and a lot of that was in the first 60 minutes. As you say, I actually think he, he's probably better with Cleverly now, because Cleverly's so energetic and gets around the pitch, and Carrick can then play his normal game rather than having to worry about the defensive side as well as the, the kind of passing side, so... You're absolutely right. Skulls and Carrick, fantastic last season. I just don't think it's working this this season. I, I think Skulls himself knows his legs have properly gone now. He he does struggle really, really, really struggle physically. You know, as long as the ball's at his feet, he's still as world class as he always was. Uh, but without it, he's uh, he's pretty horrible. And again, not an attack on Skulls, just just an observation really. And. It's probably where these stories have come from that Scholes is considering retiring. I know Ferguson lambasted that one and said, you know, I'd expect him to talk to me first than any journalist, but it would be a real surprise if Scholes stays on, wouldn't it? You mean past the end of this season? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, gosh, I, I, you know, I really don't want to see that. I really don't want to see it because you can see where the trajectory's at. And that wonderful six months he had last season, you know, he'd had the best part of six months off before that, you know. And so, yeah, he, he did buy some time, basically. But now he's had no rest at all. He was absolutely vital last season. So he ended up playing every game. Played, he's played loads this season already, although it is slowing down a bit now. But he has to, doesn't he? Because he's, you know, he does look exhausted, basically. But incredible when he's on the ball, you know, as you say. The injection of Cleverly into that... I mean, I don't know where to start with analysing that Newcastle game. Just completely mental, topsy-turvy game... The whole aura, every time Newcastle attacked, it looked terrifying, basically. 
Yeah, it really did. And so United were way too open, way too open, just invited pressure, waves of them, and and the defending was horrendous. Yeah, you know, re- really poor. I mean, I thought Smalling had a really poor game at right back, just totally out of position, way too often. Maybe he's not fit yet. He's not had a lot of minutes since he came back, and and that might be the first time he's played right back this season, you know, if not the first. There haven't been many. Central defence wasn't too clever either, and, and De Gea didn't have his finest game in the United shirts, you know. So, you know, all round pretty poor. But I, I just think some of it is so obvious, and it, I just find it really frustrating. I mean, Ferguson was asked after the game, can you keep conceding these goals and, and keep coming back or something to that effect? And, and he said, no, we can't keep doing this. It's putting us under tremendous pressure. And, and that was his, you know, one and only moment of weakness when he diverted from the, the standard message, which was how brave we were and how courageous we were in the second half. And this is uh, championship stuff from us, which, uh, you know, of course, is masking the deficiencies. Even you now I don't want to get on a negative rant because actually United won and, and we're seven points clear at the top. So, you know, that's pretty bloody good, isn't it? But it's it feels like playing high stakes poker with some losing hands. And, and at some point it's going to go wrong. Right. And going to go wrong spectacularly. Yeah, absolutely, because we keep getting it all in behind. Um, and, yeah, our numbers come up uh, enough times this season so far. And, and, you know, the standard of opposition in the Premier League is low enough. And our attack is good enough. That's the other thing. Um, and we do have that magical Manchester United fighting spirit, which Fergie gets to use in his press conferences. But you can only imagine how furious he must be at the the way we played. I, at one point, I thought Old Trafford had been expanded by six foot in each direction without anyone knowing, because it just looked like there was more space on the pitch than normally was the commentator described it as basketball at one point it was perfectly apt description as the ball just pinged from one end to the other in the last 20 minutes the massive controversy around um well first of all congratulations to Lionel Messi on scoring I mean sorry Johnny Evans on scoring yet again for Manchester United just time after time after time but then he got one at the wrong end and there was a lot of controversy because there was the goal was initially disallowed for offside but then Mike Dean went and consulted with his linesman clearly asked whether Cissé had got any of the ball and the linesman said he hadn't which he hadn't and the referee then decided to interpret the law as meaning that Cissé was not offside I'm really confused about this because um, he's clearly interfering with play otherwise Johnny Evans wouldn't be running towards him and you know all that stuff and they were sort of in a bit of a tangle even at one point so it does seem like a very odd decision to describe Cissé as inactive at that time yeah I mean I I think the thing is it's to do with phases of uh, play isn't it right so the interfering with play rule doesn't exist hasn't done in the way that Ferguson described it for some time so it's it's about phases of play so uh, ball goes wide phase one Cissé is not offside ball comes in phase two Cissé is not offside ball reaches Cissé almost Uh, he is offside but he doesn't touch it so it goes in and and so my understanding of the rules and and, uh, I let the proper referee out there correct me on this one is that he's made the right call there the referee and linesman and although he's in an offside position and clearly interfering uh, because Johnny Evans wouldn't have attacked the ball if he didn't know that Cissé was there that it's probably more a problem with the rule than the interpretation of it and it was probably the right thing although it just seems ridiculous doesn't it that Cissé has gained an advantage from being offside and, and forcing the opponent into making a mistake but probably correct I'm not surprised everyone was went mental about it now. I'm really not surprised at all. Yeah, it was a case of gloomy nant 
because they're not the Illuminati is just not coming through for United anymore. I don't, it's very worrying, really. Well, well do you know why? It's because you exposed them. Oh, it's my fault. Yeah, you've blown it. Sorry, everyone. Uh, but fortunately, we don't need them because we've got Patrice Evra goal machine. Who, um, I mean, all his goals really have been headers from corners, but not this one. This one was a absolute pinger from the edge of the box. Fantastic strike and beautiful to see the net bulge from a Patrice Evra strike from the edge of the box because not been a lot of them in his United career. No, they haven't, and because he's been scoring headers this season, you know, towering above everyone else as he does, and leaping like a salmon. But uh, yeah, this time driving run and a great shot, fine goal. Yeah, absolutely, and more fine goals along the way. Brilliant from Van Persie, uh, just keeping his head, taking the second bite of the cherry for that third goal, and then I didn't think it was going to happen. I don't know about you, but Van Persie missed... Newcastle smashed against the bar that was before wasn't it but um and then when Chicharito missed the header uh, from the Valencia cross which actually was a glorious cross from Valencia the, the one really good one and, and the header sort of flashed wide of the post and then when Van Persie's instinctive left foot sort of shot from the left side of the box flew past the right hand post I thought this is it it's just not going to happen today is it but then Chichi never gives up does he? he he kind of didn't look like he was really on it but then an absolutely vital winner yeah championship stuff as ferguson said yeah H- huge victory in the end for united i mean really significant to open up this big gap and i mean i did say didn't i that i thought united there was a good chance that united could uh, be a significant amount of points ahead after christmas and and city um, picked out the sunderland game as one that uh, could be a banana skin for city so it's you know that could mean so much by the end of the season and uh, i think the united supporters and ferguson knew that i mean feeling jumped on in didn't he and huge celebrations at the end of the game and understandably so i think chicharito yep uh, he can always score a goal and he kind of needed to because i thought he missed a few didn't he uh, you know he, he was always lively but uh, and, and uh, van persie interesting just playing slightly deeper than hernandez swapping the roles of most of the season didn't think it was going to be one of those games. It wasn't obvious to me that United were going to find the winner there, especially with Newcastle scoring so freely at the other end. And Hernandez missing that header with, what, you know, three or four yards out from goal. Felt like it was one of those days, but came up trumps again. And, uh, you, you know, you can't even talk about United scoring late goals anymore. That that was a pretty early goal for, for United in United terms, wasn't it? You know, uh, fantastic stuff. And, you know, what with Liverpool losing as well and Leeds and City, it's, it's been a very good boxing day. Yeah, it has, absolutely. And it's interesting because at 3 all, I was thinking, you know what, we're going to look back at this as being one of those season-defining games. If we if we lose the title by a couple of points, I'm going to remember this game. Now I'm thinking if we win the title by a couple of points, I'm going to remember this game. And the fact that City lost as well, you know, because the, the Swansea game was immensely frustrating and the fact that City had such a kind of horrible late winner uh, in their game as well, which was sort of really cheaty and foully and stuff... Uh, kind of added to the level of frustration and, and the reverse was true here that the fact that the City result came through at the just just a couple of moments before our game finished really really lifted the atmosphere and it, it made it feel really I remember you and I being at a, a victory against Newcastle on a day when Chelsea drew and, and it was around this time of year in fact it may well have been Boxing Day and there was a lot of Mourinho are you listening uh, sung around the ground and this this felt one of them today didn't it it felt like a, we're coming we're coming for trophy back sort of a day well we'll see what happens against West Brom and Wigan of course but uh, you know two winnable games uh, City go to Norwich 
tough for them. God, it could, it could be even more than seven, but, you know, maybe I'm getting my ahead of myself there, and, and we should be very happy with seven uh, on Boxing Day. It's uh, tremendous stuff from United. It can't be often that a club has been caught being this far ahead in the Premier League at this stage of the season. I'm sure the stats nerds out there will know. It might even only be, like, once in the last five years. And, hey, great stuff in the end. The piling on the pressure in the last five minutes, but everything that went before it, not so great. Not sure it's going to get fixed by United. I think we're in for this for the rest of the season, even if Fidic plays against West Brom, as he probably will do. I think they, they just pulled him out as a precaution after so long out. Uh, he doesn't quite look like the same player he was before. He looks like he's going to play a lot deeper than he used to, and we'll see when he gets really fit, I, I suppose. But just uh, just a feeling that that is what's going to happen, and that will invite pressure. On a, so I'm not sure that the defensive problems will be fixed by Vidic, great a player as he is. Um, so I think we're probably in for a season of a few more 4-3s yet. And there could be one against West Bromwich Albion as the occupiers of the ground in the Premier League. Well, the ground in England, which is the highest above all of above sea level. Do you know that, Ed? The Hawthorns, the highest ground above sea level? Do, do you know what? I, I, I think it should be banned. I, I think uh, like Bolivia in the World Cup qualifiers, they should be forced to go and play in you know, Aston or something. West Bolivia Albion. Uh, they're coming to town. A team doing tremendously well under Steve Clark, who is who does seem like a decent bloke. And I, I, West Brom, are, we talked about Swansea being a club that are doing it right. West Brom have also been a club that have done it right. They've appointed a lot of really bright, promising managers, and they they kind of keep within their budget. They do a lot of smart work with loan deals. Lukaku's obviously working out really well for them. And they're just a really good footballing side. One of the better teams to watch in the country, I would say. You know, I could definitely see United losing this much because of all the frailties we've talked about, but that would not be my prediction. My prediction would be that United will scrape a win again, uh, but I'd, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a very similar story to the Newcastle game. West Brom is slightly different to, to Newcastle and certainly to Swansea in, in that, you know, they're pretty compact as a side, and yes, they do play good football, but most of their games are pretty tight uh, rather than open, and, and so we'll see how that one works out. They've got plenty of talented players there, and, and you know, you look at the, the talent they've got running through their squad now, it's it's not a surprise they're in the top half, it's perhaps a surprise they're in European qualification places. No, I'm not sure anyone really picked that one uh, at the beginning of the season, but plenty of players even cause damage to United you know and, and Steve Clark's obviously doing a, a very good job there maybe Agent Foster will drop a rick and, and uh, let a few in for us at the weekend yeah don't like uh, the idea of us booing old United players but Ben Foster don't don't mind a little boo or two I didn't like his his comments about how it was the green and gold scarves that stopped United from winning the league I think the Stratford End should just chuck green and gold scarves at him all <laughs> afternoon <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah no need to boo that's that's a bit classless Adam Wingy, very dangerous. Uh, Lukaku, obviously dangerous. Uh, Morrison, a fine, fine player. A, a lot of quality. Zoltan Gera back at the Hawthorns and, and doing a lot of damage again. Uh, so yeah, there's, they've got dangerous attacking options. And they're pretty solid at the back as well. Uh, but Ben Foster's obviously vulnerable, as, as all Reds know. And then and then we go away to Wigan, which I don't know about you, but I have no particular memory of away at Wigan last season. Doesn't feel like it was a crucial turning point or anything like that. No, no, not at all. No, yeah. Always a, a feisty local one, isn't it, this one? And, and, and Wigan always up for a game against United. Although, very good record against Wigan over the years, of course, <laughs> until until last year. You'd expect United to go to Wigan and win, because that's what normally happens. 
you'd expect United to go to Wigan and win. I'm expecting them to go to Wigan and get a draw. That's what I think. I think that's going to be uh, the big banana skin. And because of all the rotation, because of all the injuries, it's like, it's ridiculous. Nani, Kagawa, Anderson, Rooney, Welbeck, uh, all out. Vidic just coming back from injury. I'm sure I've forgotten some as well. You know, so it's a really serious injury list, isn't it, at the moment? It's, it's a bad one. You know, we talked about defensive injury crisis yeah, earlier in the season. It's now becoming a sort of attacking midfielder injury crisis. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one thing we can't afford is an injury crisis in midfield because we do not have the personnel to withstand that kind of assault. No, and it'll be interesting on the lineouts for the next two games. I mean, presumably some more rotation. The problem comes when it's seven or eight, right? You know, when it's three or four, it's pretty seamless. When it's more than that, it, it produces disjointed performances. So we'll we'll see. I mean, uh, Rio didn't get a rest against Newcastle. You'd expect him to get a rest in at least one of the next couple of games. Yeah, I mean, he, he didn't play against Swansea, did he? Yeah, no, that's right. And so, you know, maybe we'll play two out of the four. It depends on the injury situation. So Jones not fit and uh, Raphael not fit. And that causes something of a problem, doesn't it? If that still is the case, then Smalling will have to play it right back and, and perhaps Vidic will play against West Brom with Evans. Either way, you'd expect there to be some rotation both in the forward and the defensive areas. And sometimes it affects United's coherence. Let's hope not. West Brom is a really, really tough game, of course, you know, because they, they're flying so high. Wigan, slightly different, you know, in the relegation zone again. Uh, Martinez uh, doesn't work his magic until the last five or six games, does he? You know, you'd expect them to be within a point or two of relegation until then, and then they'll they'll go to some 2-7-1 formation that no one's ever heard of before and start spanking everyone in the last five games. Absolutely. And before we do our predictions for these two games, let's move on to a few questions from the fine people of the internet. At Sean underscore Payne underscore seven asks, what should I have for tea tonight? Leftover turkey. That's pretty much the standard answer at this time of year. Or, you know, leftover vegetarian alternative. This is a question we've had before, but I guess uh, Sean wasn't listening then. So we'll just we'll just answer it because it's a really quick, simple answer. At 987 underscore Sean asks, what's the best kit United have ever had? And there are two correct answers for this. One is the George Best long sleeves, red with the white cuffs, and the other is Eric Cantona, sharp with the laces on the collar. Right, those are the official two right answers of the rank cast, I believe. You mean you don't like the 1993 Rumblows Cup Adidas maple leaf weirdness going on? Well, I do like it, yeah, but (laughs) in a different way. At Happy Hero asks, why have the last two seasons been the craziest so far? I do think it's an interesting point about the nature of English football in general at the moment. The defending is so poor everywhere, week in, week out. And I I can only assume that that is partly because of the systemic changes, because of the offside laws, because of the the favouring of the strikers and, you know, there's been a deliberate attempt by the powers that be in football to get, like, violent conduct out of the game. And, you know, you can't, you don't get one free reducer anymore and all those sorts of things and it's definitely changed the nature of the game yeah true and i actually i think the quality of the premier league is is not so great at the moment you know obviously it's still a high quality league but in comparison to four or five years ago i don't don't think it's as good and, and that kind of is reflected in european performances of the english clubs isn't it yeah it's part of that and yeah i think there's some pretty poor defending uh, all round and and it's very competitive at the moment obviously chelsea spent a huge amount of money uh, united still managing to hang in there despite the restrictions of debt although you know united too has spent quite a bit of money in the last two years city only the half a billion spent and Tottenham really want to be competitive and Moyes has produced a really good Everton side this year and 
and and all of that so it's really competitive and when you're talking about Arsenal in 7th and Liverpool in 10th in two huge clubs of the English game you, you can't get anywhere near the top part of the table at the moment that, that kind of says something about the competitive nature of, of the league doesn't mean it's as good as it always has been but it's definitely very tight yeah, and I mean, it's a fantastic product, isn't it, to use a horrible term, that there is a tremendous amount of excitement around, and, you know, we're Money United fans, so the end of last season is one of the sort of football lowlights of your life, but if you were just a neutral football fan, it would probably be one of the things, you know, the great highlights, the most exciting conclusions to a season ever, all that sort of thing, because it was truly incredible. And, and you know, part of the, I guess, a really simple answer to the why is it all gone so crazy is just just because a bunch of billionaires have come along, totally shaking it up. Yeah, and, and, and Fergie had a bit of a stroke in the summer and decided that the uh, the way to win the title this year was to play 16 forwards all at the same time and absolutely no midfield or defence. And, and, you know, hey, it worked in the 1890s, so uh, fast forward 100 and something years and, and maybe it'll work again. We're seven points clear on Boxing Day, you know, so fair play to Fergie. Um, yeah, right. No, you can't, you can't argue with seven points clear. No. You, you can point to the team and go, they can't defend. They defend like a pub side, <laughs> you know, and that's just pointing out the obvious. But hey, so still seven points clear. At No Heroes Here asks, can I borrow a tenner? The, the answer to that question is because it's you, yes. But that wouldn't necessarily be my answer to everyone, but, but for No Heroes Here, yep, yeah, I'll, I'll lend you a tenner. Brentwonga.com at 2,600% interest to you, my friend. Uh, two different people asking questions about the, the link between it's at Lucas underscore M United and at Neurosis asking questions about whether Robin Van Persie is analogous to Eric Cantona. And I, I'm, I'm not sure we're there yet, but maybe we're getting there. Yeah, I mean, half a season gone, right? He's had a, a really fine half a season. But Eric helped shape a club. We've talked about this, haven't we, before? And yeah. Van Persie can't do that. He won't be able to do that. But on the pitch, he, he's having a really significant impact. So that's part of the analogy, yes. I, I think in the wider context, no. And the final question for this week, talking of the great man, at operator underscore Joe asks, if you had to take Eric Cantona's beard and attach it to a current United player, who would it be? Very, very fine question. Uh, the important matters of the day, as always, covered on the Rankcast. I think it would it would best suit Ryan, uh, and it would be funniest on Raphael. Those are my answers to that question. Yeah, I'd like to see it on Waza, to be honest. You know, I think your main creative player should have that. You know, Socrates, uh, Gary Bertels, um, <laughs> Eric Cantona. Yeah, maybe that analogy is being stretched somewhat <laughs> thin. But but I think it, Waza, wouldn't he? A massive, chunky beard. He'd look fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it would look good. It would look good. We've all seen that, of course, in that advert um, that accurately predicted his future after that World Cup tournament. So uh, I guess that's it, except for predictions, right, Ed? In keeping with my generally positive and uh, half-glass-full nature, I'm going to predict two wins for United. I I think United will turn over West Brom, but I think it's going to be really tight. They are a good side and they do keep it tight. So I think that's going to be a 2-1 win. And I think we're going to go to Wigan and we're going to win 3-2. I'm not predicting clean sheets anymore because it's just ridiculous. Yeah, all right. I'll predict a win against West Brom, 2-1, but I think a one-all draw against Wigan. I think it's... What I'm really doing here is saying that I think we're going to win one of these games and draw the other one. And I don't really know which way round I think it's going to go. But I, I, I will be surprised and delighted if we win both of these games. 
We're going to hopefully have a, a bit of a special year end, which will actually be the year beginning special thing for the next podcast, which we're, we're hoping to, to produce an, a nice piece of audio for that. Otherwise, I think that probably does it for the Rankcast for 2012, which has been a pretty extraordinary year for, for the two of us in terms of people listening. Quite a lot more people listen now than they did at the beginning of the year, and it's it's really nice, and it's, it's lovely to get the the positive feedback on Twitter and Facebook and uh, on the, on the iTunes reviews and all that sort of thing, and on, on UnitedRant.co.uk, of course. And people have been really generous and helped support the show at UnitedRant.co.uk/slash/donate. So thank you very, very much for listening to us in 2012. We hope you'll stick with us for 2013. And I hope that it's a, a wonderful year for you lovely Rankcast listeners. Um, not just in terms of United winning, because let's face it, that's not the most important thing in the world, but life in general and that. Yeah, very good. I, I echo those words. Uh, thank you very much for listening this year. What have your, been, been your highlights of the year? I'm, I'm talking in terms of the, the podcast, Paul, rather than the, the games. Uh, just the, the the number of questions and engagement that we get from people now, you know, when we started this, I, I genuinely thought this would be like me and you talking and a handful of people enjoying it. And and basically the, the origin of the Rankcast comes from the fact that we would essentially have these conversations anyway about once a week. So we decided to just start recording them and, and see if people like them. And the, the fact that people do like them has been awesome. And actually, you know, just on a really personal note, collaborating with Brett from Bifurcated MUSC on Little Drummer Eric, which you can find by searching YouTube for Little Drummer Eric. That, that's that's an absolute personal highlight that would never have happened without the Rankcast. So they, oh, I know my singing divides the listeners, but you know, I've, I've got an outlet for it now. So if, if you're a fan of the singing, just, just do a, a YouTube search for Little Drummer Eric. It's true, it does divide the listeners into really hate it and really, really hate it. <laughs> That's, that is not true. Listeners, tweet at United Rant and tell him if you like it. What about you, Ed? I think the reaction to the show and the feedback we get and uh, and the fact that we can engage with people on many different levels, people sending us cartoons and uh, songs and love the rant back idea. No one's taking part yet. You know, come on, send us a rant back. Loads of questions, and that's really built up over the year. One thing I'm disappointed in, lack of groupies. You know, frankly, I thought I'd have, you know, girls sending me their knickers in the post, and, and it's just not happened yet. Disappointing. It's because everyone knows you're married, and you would never, you know, stray, Ed. That's what it is. I, I have to say, yeah, you mentioned cartoons, and, and when Liz, at Liz Worsley, drew her situations in which listening to the rank cast is useful cartoon i have to say that that was an absolute highlight for me it was it was magical so it's it's just brilliant it's it's really lovely when people do stuff like that very good well that's it for 2012 we'll be back with you in 2013 it's been a great year thank you very much for listening and we'll see you very soon Oh, 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 oh.
Oh, 